Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning and welcome to the program. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and today we're going to answer your frequently asked questions about health insurance. I mean, you're continually asking those questions that are important to you, and we want to give you back the answers that will help you make some good decisions. From prescription drug plans to dental plans, Shannon Dyson is here. Here's a question for you. What is step therapy? And why does it matter to you with your health insurance plan? Also, Dane Williams is here to guide us through the maze of property and casualty insurance, understanding the rules of shopping for car insurance. You'll be surprised. The more you know about insurance, the better you can do at purchasing what you need. Why does it cost so much to insure a car or truck in Shelby County? You'll find out from Dane today. Does gender affect auto insurance rate? All those are questions. All those are got. We've got the answers. Dane has some tips to help you save money, and that's important from today's program. From our Did You Know files, more concerns about the rising cost of education. Has a, having a talk with someone yesterday, and all we talked about was the problem: the rising cost of health insurance, rising cost of. You know, someone going to college, it seems like it's just consistently. Well, here's the thought. The average cost of tuition, fees, room, and board during the 2018-19 school year at an average four-year public college was $21,370. That's up 5.4% over the last 30 years. Now, if that same rate of inflation continues over the next decade, one year of college at an average state public college will cost, you might want to sit down to listen to this number, $36,040 during the school year of 2028-2029. You complete that education in four years, and you will have a cost of $144,160 in 2032. Start planning now. I don't know if that uh, ability to borrow the money will still be there at 2000 and 29 or finishing the year by 2032 that comes from the college board here's something you may find you may have thought you would have never heard especially from the u.s energy information administration for the week ending friday april the 12th the u.s exported 2.4 million barrels of crude oil that's exported 2.4 million barrels of crude oil per day Five years ago, just five years ago, 2014, the U.S. was exporting 67,000 barrels of crude oil per day, or just 3% of the current export level. The Insured Retirement Institute just released some new data, but it hasn't changed much over the last nine years. 45% of the 76 million baby boomers in the United States have no Retirement savings. We talk about this all the time on this program, and you. we just hope you're doing something about that. 45% of the 76 million baby boomers have no retirement savings. 44% of employers 
<clears throat> excuse me, 44% of employers surveyed recently by the company Robert Clark, Wills, Towers, and Watson, they reported that they are having difficulty hiring new employees with skills equal to that of the firm's retiring employees. So that 44% of those that baby boomers, maybe that's part of the reason they don't want to retire. That information comes from these guys, Robert Clark, Wills, Towers, and Watson. Also, baby boomers are not actually retiring. Those continuing to work, it's up 16% since 2010, so says AARP. So, hey, baby boomers, we're continuing to work. Maybe it's because we don't have enough money set aside for retirement. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial and be sure to like us on Facebook. Coming up, we're going to talk with guys about some serious questions you have about your health insurance and also very important. How do you know how to buy the proper amount of car insurance in today's market in Shelby County? Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back. I have a program today that I think you're going to find to be interesting. It's, it, we're basically answering your questions that you've just consistently asked and the questions about Medicare, just to kind of an update from Shannon Dyson. Then we're going to dive into just knowing that having some tips about car insurance and how to make a good decision. The more informed you are as a consumer, the better decision you can make. That's today's program. That's the 30,000-foot view. Let me introduce this guy. He's a frequent guest. He does a great job for us. Shannon Dyson, Vice President of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. Welcome to the program, Shannon. Thanks for having me back, Jim. You know, Shannon, last time we had you on the program, we were we we had this discussion, a very lengthy discussion on Medicare. It is it is a we get constant questions about Medicare at Part A, Part B, Part M O U S E. It's 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 all those things that just continue. It's it's an just a a labyrinth of stuff. And so Give us the 30,000-foot view of Part A and Part B, and then I really want to specifically dive into Part D. But help us with Part A and Part B first. Well, I'm still a little bit of a shock on the uh, tuition numbers you were talking about, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to try children. to do my best. Yeah. If you haven't gone out and robbed a bank yet, you may – never mind. I won't go there. <laughs> now, so Medicare is uh, – it's one of those things that, that comes up a lot, and it's uh, with, with – with clients that come into the office and it's very confusing the kind of the thousand foot view part a is hospitalization we've talked about that before there's no cost for part a of medicare part b is for physician charges so anything outside of the hospital uh, if you go to the doctor's office if you get a cat scan an mri part b would cover those charges of medicare uh, and then you have part d of medicare which is the prescription part of medicare uh, and time in time again, that is the part that people have the hardest time understanding uh, because of the rules that are that surround it. It is the hardest to understand. So Part A is uh, federally a federal government plan, right? A social plan. 
Right. So, so part A, if, if you were to go into the, when you turn 65, um, you, you can automatically get part A if you want it. You don't have to take it, but most people go ahead and take it because it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, and, and there is a, any hospital that you want to go to, there's not a network that you have to worry about. It's part A of Medicare. It comes with deductibles and things of that nature, uh, but it's free. So most people go ahead and take it when they turn age 65. And then Part B is covering the the physicians. Or? Yeah, so think about Part B when when you go to the doctor's office. Uh, if you have any tests run uh, that are outside of the the hospital, the actual testing that is part of Part B. Uh, so anything hospital related, Part A. Anything doctor or outpatient related, Part B of Medicare. So are you paying for Part B now? You have to make choices about Part B. You do. Part B is not necessarily a choice, but you you don't really know what you're going to pay unless you come. And find out what your you have to tell me what your income is. Uh, Part B is based on your income. So, uh, if you come in and and your income is you know high income, you're going to pay more for Part B. Uh, There is the standard premium for Part B is one hundred thirty five dollars and fifty cents. That's regardless of income. If your income is below one hundred sixty thousand dollars of household income, if you're married, uh, under eighty thousand dollars if you're single, uh, your premium be one thirty five fifty per month. And then it goes up from there. Goes up from there. Yeah, based on income. Max is out, I believe, at three twenty-five a month based on your income. All right, so it's so quite a, a difference. A lot of people, three twenty-five, if that's the maximum, yeah. is a lower premium that they could have been paying when they were in, had private insurance. Sure, it depends on what company you work for. Um, if you had individual health insurance, more than likely that's much cheaper than what you're paying. Um, and if you had a lot of group plans, you're paying a lot more than that. Of course, it depends on the company that you have and the type of plan that they offer. All right, now. So many people feel, and I guess I need to ask this question: Is do they do people sense that they don't have the quality coverage because it's Part A and Part B because it's a government-related program? Is that what you sense when you talk to a lot of people that well, I really hate that. I don't, I don't like it because I don't think I've got the same quality. Really, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, I can pretty much tell if you're a Republican or a Democrat based on your uh, <laughs> thoughts about Medicare when you come into my office. Okay. Uh, but no, there is a there is That's healthy a great point though. I like that healthy skepticism uh, about Medicare when when I would say is the overwhelming thing that I see. Uh, and as we go through and, and talk about what Part A covers, what Part B covers, we get into supplements, Medicare supplements, and how that comes in and takes over uh, and pays everything that Medicare A and B does not cover. There's still some skepticism there, uh, but when they see how, how it actually works, uh, for the most part, it's, oh, wow, this is really good. This is, this actually is really good insurance. So even that Republican might find it. Correct, correct. <laughs> he might decide, hey, this is not bad. That's good. That's all right. All right. Now let's talk about Part D, because the last time out on the program, we, we got into Part D, but we didn't have enough time to get into the, in the, to the meat of it. And we had some people asking, hey, you guys have got to help us with Part D. Part D is a federal program that's administered through private insurance. So take us from there. Right. So I think it was 2006, uh, George W. Bush uh, implemented uh, prescription Part D coverage uh, that would be regulated by the government. Uh, Before that, there was no regulated prescription coverage if you were over 65 years old. Uh, Some Medicare supplements had prescription coverage, but most did not. And so once you turned 65 or Medicare age, there really were not a whole lot of options for prescription drug coverage. And so back in 2006, this plan was implemented. The government regulates it, but there are 
I mean, over 50 different insurance carriers that are in that marketplace. And so you have a private insurance plan, uh, but the overall rules and regulations are regulated by the federal government. It's not a part of the Medicare supplement plan, though, right? Is it is that, not. No, okay. it's been separated Explain from that. that. So why is it it's pulled away from there? Was it ever a part of the supplement plan? It used to be. There was a there was a supplement called Plan J back in the day before two thousand six. Uh, plan J was the only supplement that offered prescription drug coverage. You can, as you can imagine, though, it was also the most expensive supplement plan that was out there. And so, if you could not afford Plan J, then you really did not have prescription drug coverage once you got to Medicare age. Uh, so, uh, you know, as we as we see some of these government programs that we say, "Oh man, the government's spending more money and more money, more money." You know, looking back 13 years ago, it's not a bad deal that we went ahead and got something in place for seniors for prescription drug coverage. Well, if you just tuned in, my guest is Shannon Dyson. He's the VP of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions, and we're talking about Medicare Part D. Uh, we're answering your questions. If you've got questions for us, just send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We try our best to answer your questions. And Part D has been kind of a, uh, a difficult question for a lot of people because it's somewhat hard to understand. So, Shannon, what I'm, I'm going to ask you to do, big question here, how does Part D work? Well, Part D is so uh, complicated, I think, because of how they structured it. Uh, with most health plans, you kind of understand you, you take your insurance card to the doctor's office and if you have a copay, you pay it. Or if you don't, you don't. I mean, it's, kinda, it's pretty easy to understand. With Part D, they divided it into four separate parts. And so they call them stages. And so stage one uh, of Part D is the deductible. Uh, phase. Some plans have deductibles. Some plans don't have deductibles. And so what that means, uh, the the average deductible is $415 for most prescription drug plans. Um, And so when I say drug plans, I'm talking about private insurance carrier plans. I'll name it Aetna, Express Script, Silver Script. These, These companies have plans on the marketplace. Some of them will have a deductible, and it's about $415 depending on the carrier. And that's on average. That's on average. So, so a person needs to to negotiate. Well, I guess they're not negotiating; they're choosing choosing right their deductible amount. So, correct. Let's say I'm taking three drugs, okay, mm-hmm. and they're expensive drugs. You could hit your deductible fairly quickly. If you're taking brand name drugs that are that are fairly expensive, you'll hit the deductible in the first month. And okay. so that that your phase one is taken care of pretty quickly. Um, and what that means is that so you're you're basically paying the full discounted price of the cost of the prescription until your deductible is met. Is and met. so that's what that means. So that could be just one month and you, and you takes care of it. Correct. That's the input. So, so now that's stage one, right. the annual deductible. Do do people make decisions based on the, um, can you go higher than $400? or No, 415 is the highest. Okay. Uh, it can go down from there. Some some carriers have no deductible at all. And, and the thing that you will see as we kind of go through these stages is that even if a plan has a deductible, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not the right choice for the prescriptions that you take. It really, the, the prescription Part D is so dependent upon individuals' actual situations that I think that's another reason why it's so confusing. And that makes it very difficult. Yep. Now, I think that's why we get your questions is because it is an individual decision. Sometimes that can be because you're thinking about if I make this, can you change your Part D? I mean, if you choose in 2019 to do X plan, mm-hmm. And now, can you change mid-year, or do you have to wait till next year? Can't change mid-year. Uh, you do have to wait to the end of the year for the annual 
annual election period, but then you can change every year. Every if you year want to. from yeah. there. No, there's no, no penalty. No penalty. There's no uh, pre-existing conditions or anything like that. You can change every year. Okay. Stage two. Stage two is the initial coverage phase, and so that's what you typically think about when you have a prescription plan. I go to the pharmacy, I give them my prescription, and I pay a five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty dollar copay, whatever the copay is. So in that initial coverage stage, you are paying copays for your prescriptions. Is that not the deductible? I mean, that's so. You've already gone through your deductible at that point, and so you've you've gone through the, your phase one. Let's just say, for instance, you take five prescriptions. Um, you've gone through your four hundred and fifteen dollar deductible. Now you're in the initial coverage level. You're going to pay if it's generic. You're going to pay f- about five to seven dollars per prescription, per depending prescription. on the plan. Uh, if you have some brand names, you could pay up to seventy five dollar copay, depending on the plan that you choose and what the prescription is. Do a lot of people call you? I know you get a ton of questions and a lot of calls about Medicare, especially about Part D. Do people call you thinking, "Well, I had a deductible." I thought my copay was going to be small, and now I did have to pay the $75. That, to me, is a, a sticker shock for some people. Yeah, if, they, if we didn't help them with the plan, yeah, we get a lot of those calls. Uh, when, when we go through a plan uh, with someone, we show them for the entire year, this will be exactly to the dollar what you pay January through December if you take these prescriptions. So you're looking at the prescription. Absolutely. That's what you're saying to people. If you're getting your making a decision on your party. Look at what you actually are taking. You have to. And I think that when somebody says, well, I like uh, Express Scripts. They've always been great. Or I like Silver Script. That's that's great. Or my husband or my wife, they have this. Uh, that does not mean that it's the right choice for you because you have a different prescription list. And so the, the prescription list that you have or the prescriptions that you take will determine which plan we choose. Shannon, I, I just listening to you, do you, when you're talking with people, I know... I know for me personally, this is a confusing part of people's lives. It is, it's important. They, they, they go through this, this anxiety because it's health related. What would you just in a, just, just thought process at this point, what would you tell them when they're trying to make these decisions? I mean, this is really tough for a lot one, of people. One of the, uh, the, the toughest situations uh, when, when people come in is they know that they're taking expensive drugs already. Uh, they've had a group plan. They may be paying really high copays. Uh, they've looked online to see how much this drug costs. And so they're coming in with a lot of anxiety about, you know, I've been dreading this day. Because I know I'm moving off of my group plan, I'm taking Medicare, and I know this prescription is going to be really expensive. They haven't been taking blood pressure medicine. They might be having to take it. Correct, it, it, and it can, and it really can be. I mean, the next phase that we that we go through when you talk step one, step or phase two, phase three is that coverage gap phase, and everybody's heard about it: the donut hole, the coverage gap. What you know, what that is. And they know I'm paying a percentage of my prescription. So if I have an, a, a prescription that is several thousand dollars a month, instead of paying a copay like I've been paying at my at my job or my other plan, I'm going to be paying a percentage of the cost. And some drugs can be so expensive, it doesn't matter what percentage of the cost you're paying. If you're paying a percentage of the cost, it's going to be very expensive. So you got stage one, yep. the deductible, stage two, the initial coverage, and you just mentioned stage three really being 
as you referred to it, the donut hole. The coverage gap, donut the hole. Coverage yeah. gap. Why why do we call it the donut hole? This is what I don't understand. This when I said earlier that the Because I happen they, to like donut holes, you know. <laughs> I do too, they're good, but if you eat too many, you can yeah, have, well, take that's prescriptions. True. I don't even like to do the calorie count with those. Forget <laughs> it. But the I this is when I when I say it's confusing and I'm not under, I'm not sure why they did it this way, talking about Congress and how they sure. how they made this plan. Uh, they basically put a limit. So at thirty eight hundred dollars. So $3,800 in total drug costs for the year. So what that's saying is if a drug costs $1,000 a month, then you're reaching that coverage gap by month four. Um, and what the coverage gap is, it's a, it's a uh, between that $3,000 in expenses and $5,500 in expenses. So that means total costs of your drugs. You're paying the consumer, the person that's buying the health plan, uh, you're paying 25% of brand name drugs through that coverage gap. So you were paying a copay for this prescription. Now you're paying 25% of that prescription until you get to the stage four, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay. <clears throat> See what I mean? Yeah, I'm very, I've got it. No question. Yeah, I'm, I'm fully, completely aware of everything you just said. It can be a shocking thing to see, okay, I'm paying $47 a month for this prescription. I know it's, I know it costs a lot of money. I'm paying a little bit higher copay, $47 for March, $47 for April, $47 for May, June, I'm paying $550 for it. For the same drug. For the same drug. Yeah, and there is no recourse. You're you're going to pay the. Will that be for two months, three months? So the the coverage gap lasts between that three thousand dollars and fifty five hundred dollars in expenses. And so when you when you get on the other side of that fifty five hundred, catastrophic coverage picks back up at that point. All right, this is a tough question. We're going to take a break in a second. We'll come back. We'll get that final stage. But 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 the question is, and I just got a few seconds here. But reality. Shannon, do you ever have people come to you and say, hey, I can't afford this. This 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 donut hole is, I can't afford it. I mean, what happens to that person? Yeah, there's that happens uh, fr- less frequently, thank goodness, but it does happen. And at that point, we try to find other means. We no, try no. to find manufacturers' discounts. We try to find other ways to help them out. And that's a lot of research. That, Absolutely. You have to do a lot of things. Yep. Well, you just tuned in. Guest is Shannon Dyson. He's the VP of Insurance Solutions. We're talking about Medicare Part D. We're going to come back and find out what the final step is when you're making your decisions how it works and how they go through the process you'll find out what step therapy is oh my goodness you will not want to miss that then i'm going to ask him a couple of questions about dental insurance and what's the difference between a dental insurance plan and a dental discount plan hey stay with us i'm jim shoemaker this is talk money be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. While we're talking with Shannon Dyson, we're talking about a frequently asked question about health insurance, Medicare Part D. It is the prescription drug plan, and in my opinion, one of the most hard, or I guess most confusing, hard to understand uh, 
plans that Medicare has. And and so I, I just want you as our listening audience to get as much information from Shannon as you possibly can. He's covered for us several stages. He's gone through stage one, the annual deductible, stage two, the initial coverage, stage three, the donut hole or coverage gap that he just very, very thoroughly went through for us. And now we're into stage four. And Shannon, you refer to that as the catastrophic coverage. So catastrophic coverage, we've gone through the the first three. Um, You have over $5,000 in drug expenses now that you've paid out of your pocket. Uh, And so your plan picks back up and begins to cover 95% of the cost of your prescriptions, leaving you with 5%. You have paid out of your pocket. You've already paid out of your pocket $5,100 at this point before the catastrophic coverage kicks in. That's, a lot of money. That's a lot of money. It is. It is. And so once that once that phase kicks in, your responsibility then is 5% of the cost of your drugs, you which, know, again, I, can still be a lot of money depending on what your prescription costs. I'm not trying to, you know, I, I guess my concern is for somebody on a fixed income, somebody who's managing their, if they have a mortgage, their utilities, their groceries, and all of a sudden they're looking at the health care costs, they're paying Let's say, you know, whatever they're paying for health insurance, they're, you know, they got the Medicare Part A, Part A is free. They got a Part B premium. They got to pay this, and then they got to pay the out-of-pocket. This is an enormous amount of expense to someone. It is, and you can see the progression since 2006 to today. Um, in the donut hole, the coverage gap we mentioned a minute ago, right. uh, when this plan first was introduced in 2006, I believe you were having to pay somewhere along the lines of 75% of your brand name costs through the coverage gap. Instead of today, it's 25%. And so what's happening is the the manufacturers are offering discounts through that. So that is that is not the federal government picking up the costs of that. That is drug manufacturers saying, we're going to take it from your responsibility from 75% when this plan first started down to 25%. And we expect that to go even lower in the future. So, so that's the, one way to address the problem. The drug manufacturer doing are, are discounting through that coverage gap so that you're not responsible for so much. So you're talking about the drug plan carriers that, you know, can make the change. manufacturers of these of okay. these drugs, yeah. Okay. I know you told me this that they can apply some certain rules for safety reasons and also for as you're talking about cost containment. Go through some of those rules that you're talking about or changes or things they can do. The three main things that we check uh, when we have somebody come in, they give us their prescription drug list, we put it into the system. Uh, We want to make sure that there's no restrictions that prevent them from taking their drugs, or if there are, make them aware of it. The first one is quantity limits. Uh, And so the rules around quantity limits, meaning some prescriptions will have a limit of of pills that they will give each month. And so we want to make sure that our client is within that uh, within that limit. If they're not, we need to make them aware that they may need to get an exception made. Uh, The second is a prior authorization. Uh, Some drugs require a doctor to get a prior authorization before writing the prescription. Um, So if if one of our clients has a drug that that needs a prior authorization, we want to make sure that they're aware that they tell their doctor we need to get a prior authorization. And then probably the most cumbersome rule is the step therapy. I wanted to get to that. (laughs) So step therapy, uh, it requires you to take a lower-cost drug first. If that lower-cost drug does not work, then you may have to take another lower cost drug. If that one doesn't work, 
then you can take the one that you were, were prescribed in the first place. So this is the drug company saying that, or who's? The, the uh, insurance company. Insurance company, for, yes. In order for us to pay for and cover this prescription, we're going to require that you try the lower-cost drug first as a, as a part of a step therapy. Well, I, I had to take a drug years and years ago, and I and I admit that that I, first when I read that, and when you were telling me about it, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, that I don't think I want to do that. But I can remember I got prescribed a particular drug. This has been 10, 15, 20 years ago. And it was a, you know, like $180 a month for the drug for just a monthly prescription. I was seeing my personal physician, my personal care physician, PCP, and uh, was mentioning that I said, you know, this is what I'm having. He said, whoa, wait a minute. I can, we could do this. Mm-hmm. Same drug. I mean, same thing. And it was $25 a month. Sure. So it is, those are ways. No, that, I mean, the, the whole point of step therapy is to save both the, the client and the insurance company money. Uh, so if there's something that works that's cheaper, why not take that one? It may, may be something you haven't thought about yet. If you have questions for Shannon, give him a call at 757-5757. Plan D. Medicare Plan D. Shannon, here's one other question before we go to Dane, because we're going to go to Dane and just tips on buying automobile insurance in just a moment. But but here's the question that we get, and I and I want to just let do I need I've had dental insurance. I am now leaving a health carrier from my employer. Do I need to continue to take dental insurance? So this question comes up a lot because you've had a group plan, group dental coverage, and so you're going on to Medicare, you're going to lose your group dental coverage. So do I need to pick up an individual dental plan? And I have to be careful because I'm an insurance agent. And it's it's sometimes it's hard for an insurance agent to say you shouldn't take a certain type of plan. But and I'm not necessarily saying that, but a lot of the insurance dental plans that you see in the market have uh, waiting periods for major services. So if you need to have a root canal or a crown, which they consider major services, you're going to have to wait 12 months in order to get that done. You also may only get $750 to $1,000 worth of benefit each year, meaning the insurance company is only going to pay $750 to $1,000 worth of benefit towards your dental procedures. Your premium is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 to $40 per month. Or more. You're paying if you're paying forty dollars a month. That's, that's almost five hundred dollars a year for a plan that's going to pay out seven hundred and fifty dollars to a thousand dollars worth of benefit. I'll let you make the decision on whether you think that's a good deal or not. But you know, I wouldn't say automatically yes. Take dental insurance. So you're saying do the math. Do the math. Yep. Well, speaking of doing the math, coming up when we come back after this break, this guy is going to help us do the math because he's going to give us some tips on ways to lower your auto insurance premiums. He's going to guide us through some, I think it's the maze that we have in Shelby County of knowing what's the best automobile insurance and how do I make a good decision. Tips and ways to lower your auto insurance premiums. Dane Williams, he'll be with us when we come back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. When the United States declared war on Germany in 1917, Alvin York faced the greatest crisis of his life. At once a convinced pacifist and a courageous patriot, York struggled to reconcile his duty to his country with his conscience. Persuaded by fellow soldiers that the Allied cause was just, York entered the war determined to make sure his side won. During a battle in northern France, just before the armistice, York went behind enemy lines to take out heavy German machine gun positions. 
After capturing the headquarters of a German unit and losing some of his comrades in the process, York charged the machine gun nest. None of the German soldiers succeeded in hitting York, who had only his pistol. After killing only six soldiers in the charge, York forced the rest of the unit to surrender, taking 132 prisoners. York was awarded the Medal of Honor for his brave actions, and his story is a reminder to us all of the success that courage brings when it is motivated by conscience. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large-cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. And now, back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, my guest is Dane Williams. He's one of our risk manager advisors at Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. Welcome to the program, Dane. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Dane, you're a frequent guest of ours because we have so many questions about automobile insurance or just PNC, property and casualty insurance, homeowners. And, and it's one of those things that, you know, again, a little bit like what Shannon's talking about. It's sometimes confusing. I don't always know what to ask or, you know, it's kind of like I'm I'm just susceptible to saying, What's best for me? And you hope that you get that. And it's confusing. And it's, uh, I, I don't mean that you get kind of a deer in headlight look, but you think, well, why is it so expensive? And so before we get into the tips to save, I really want you to say, what are some of those things that are non-negotiable? Because I would be have a tendency to maybe compromise the non-negotiables. And I know you believe that's not important, that I should not ever change to save money. Exactly. No, I, I think there are some ways that you can save money that would absolutely lower your premium. But from a financial planning perspective, we think you shouldn't. Um, you could lower your liability levels down to state minimum coverage, and it's probably going to knock a few bucks a month off of your premium. But I, I wouldn't do it because if you get in an accident, you just don't have enough coverage. We have a few levels of coverage uh, that if you come to our firm and want to buy this level of auto insurance, uh, state minimum coverage, maybe a step or two above that even, we're going to say, I'm sorry, we're not the firm for you. Our backing being a financial planning firm is that uh, you need to carry at least 100, 300,000 bodily injury coverages, or it's just not enough. Yeah, well, you talk about saving a few dollars. I mean, are you talking about uh, a few hundred dollars or few dollars, like 20 bucks? No, 20 bucks usually is what oh, you're, okay. you're looking at. It's usually not a drastic step up. If you, obviously, if you have 100 drivers on your policy, it makes a bigger deal. But for an average family, you're not talking about a drastic step up in premium to go up to the coverage levels that you need. And if you end up having an accident, you'll be really upset that you're saving that $8 a month. How do you determine somebody's need when it comes to liability coverage? Yeah, so we look at a variety of different things, but the biggest thing to consider is generally, what is the insurance for? What type of risk are you exposed to within your home? Um, if you've got teenage drivers, if you drive a lot of miles, those things are, are um, instances that will raise your insurance uh, risk and the likelihood of you getting in an accident. So we're going to look at that initially, but we also look at just statistically what type of bodily injury claims exist out there within the marketplace. And is it going to have a huge impact if one of those happens to you? You know, I had a question asked me the other day that I, that I boy, just, it stuck with me. And, and, you know, you think about, well, I've never had an accident. Okay. That's rare, but that's great. I mean, I'm driving down North Germantown Parkway uh, frequently, twice a day, uh, one way going south, one way going north. And it, you know, invariably I will experience one, two, three, or pass by one, two, or three accidents. Used to, I could almost say, hey, it's sprinkling, it's raining. I'm probably going to see maybe one, maybe not, but it would be impossible. Clear day, 
maybe, maybe not. Bad day, like a rain, sleep, yeah, I'm going to see three or four or five, okay? It's just going to be... It's amazing today. It can be a beautiful, sunshiny, clear night, beautiful day, whatever. And you know what? I'm going to experience one or two in that nine, ten mile drive from Germantown out to Lakeland. Absolutely. It's one of the things that insurance companies consider as well. You're going to pay a higher insurance premium when you live in a more densely populated area. There are more cars on the road. There's more traffic there, more stop and go. And because of that, that increases the chances of an accident, which increases the chances of a claim that an insurance company is paying. How long does an accident stay on your record? So it's going to depend carrier to carrier how long they're going to look at it for. I would say between three and seven years with five being a pretty standard, three to five being the more standard options that you'll see. So if you've got something that you think is probably going to roll off of your record, it's a good idea to start shopping at that point. Okay, that makes sense. So you're looking at driving history, the demographics, the vehicle type coverage that you're looking for, that you've requested, all that rolls into how you get your pricing set up from that standpoint. But you said dig your heels in when it comes to a non-negotiable liability, and you're saying that's simply protecting if a passenger in your car is injured or you hit someone and you caused an injury, the liability is just too great in today's society. Correct. If you are at fault in the accident, then you are going to be personally responsible for any bodily injury that's incurred by those that you've hit. Um, And that's something where it's not going to flow through their health insurance and you're just trying to cover their deductible or their max out of pocket. It's 100% on you and your insurance company's on the hook for a certain amount. If it's state minimum in the state of Tennessee, then it's just going to be $25,000, which you can quickly exceed that number. So when you start pricing something, I know you told me that demographics make a a great deal when it comes to how you price something. So we're not into the tips yet. I guess I'm just trying to get this demographic mindset. Now, we're talking about density, you said, where you live, zip code, kind of that mindset. What other things play into pricing from a demographic standpoint? So insurance companies will look at your gender because being a male is a more expensive uh, insurance premium that you're going to have to pay than a female. I take a, you know, I take issue with that. Why is it? I'm just well, kidding. No, but, no. oh, I get it. I get it. So I want to drive. My wife and I, I'll be honest with you, would I ride with her? You know, it's like, okay, we're going about 10 miles too slow. Yes. yes. <laughs> I hope she's not listening. I'll be in trouble if she is. That's fine. I actually got one day we were about to drive. She was in her car, and I reached and got her keys. She looked at me and says, I'm driving. And I went, and she knew. She knew I'm going, oh, no. And I said, okay, babe, you could drive. You know, so you're right. Males have a tendency to drive faster. Well, and what you'll see is they'll drive faster. They'll now, drive more miles. That's statistics, right? That's Correct. not... That's not somebody just pulling something out of there. That is factual, statistical data. Correct. Uh, They are more likely to get in an accident, more likely to drive a more expensive car, which is more expensive to replace, uh, more likely to get a speeding ticket or a DUI. That's the truck they're driving. Yes. Yeah. Um, Speeding tickets, DUIs, and then more miles as well. All of those things statistically higher with males than females. Shannon, you're still in the studio. Uh, You have how many males in your family? I have four, including myself. Yeah, I agree with everything that you're saying. <laughs> Although I will say this, my wife, hopefully she's not listening. She has a pretty much she's a lead foot on uh, on her her drive her car, so she's one of those that may drive a little fast. And, and the other thing too, I, I just you know what I'm probably going to get in trouble by saying this, but 
Jill tends to run late, and so that makes her oh, uh, oh. drive faster. So I don't know, is, is being late uh, uh, a factor get, in... Get in <laughs> plead your cases all you like. It's going to be more expensive for them either way. Uh, not, not a okay, case by so case. Okay, so gender, you play age? Age uh, makes a difference as well. Um, whenever you just look statistically, teenagers have a drastically higher accident rate than adults, even though they're driving significantly less miles. And I think it, it makes sense with experience. You're going to get better at it. Um, but age makes a big difference. And marital status also makes a big difference, too. That I can understand. Once you get married, I mean, you know, once your family, you said you kind of have a tendency to settle down a little bit, not take some of the things as much risk maybe as you do. All right, let's. Turn the page, because I do want our listeners to get some of these tips, some of these things that here's some things you can do. And I want to go through one before we take a break, but some things that we can do to save money for them. Give me one quickly. So you want to consider the coverages that you're carrying. It doesn't make sense with your lifestyle. Um, I had a client that was in the other day and they were paying for rental car coverage in case their car was in the shop getting worked on after an accident. Uh, They were paying for it on all four vehicles with two drivers. Realistically, if they got in an accident, they would just drive one of their other vehicles as opposed to the Ford Fiesta the rental car company was going to give them. So uh, there was no sense for them paying for that. Evaluate all of your coverage and make sure they line up with what you have in your life. So you have other tips for us. Now, that's a biggie because that's just literally looking at what you currently have and do an analysis and making a decision. You may have thought it was important 10 years ago. Today, it doesn't make sense. You've got the extra cars. Well, stay with us because we have with us Dane Williams. He is our risk management insurance advisor at Shoemaker Financial. He deals with the property and casualty insurance side and answers a lot of questions for a lot of clients. Does a great job. i actually going to ask him a little bit about identity theft coming up. So you don't want to miss that. Can you get insurance for identity theft? And that's not about home orders and home and auto, but it does fit in. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. We're talking with Dane Williams, our risk insurance advisor at Shoemaker Financial. He is covering with us those things, those tips that we need to be sensitive to when it comes to buying automobile insurance in Shelby County. And one of the things that he said, you need to dig your heels in when it comes to, he says he digs his heels in because he doesn't want someone to compromise to save a few dollars. And he actually said 20 bucks, a few dollars on your liability coverage. That exposes you to an enormous amount of risk in just basically if an automobile accident is your fault and there's someone injured, it can be a devastating, catastrophic cost if you've gone out and said, I'm going to save a few dollars. So liability coverage is kind of a non-negotiable. Be careful with that. Don't cut that to the minimums. Make sure you've got the proper coverage. But then he's given us some tips, whether it's gender, whether it's all the ideas behind the driving, your record, and things like that. But he talked about, you know, I guess I want to go to this point here. You say coverage that, you know, just how do you design it? You know, there's there's some things that you need to look at in coverages and how you put it together. So start with us, Dane. Give us some of those tips. Walk us through that process. Yeah. So when we're working with our clients, it really is uh, consulting. As we're understanding them and the way their life is structured, 
I had another client that came in. He was a walking billboard for AAA. He loved it. All of his kids turned 18. They got AAA memberships. That's who he was. Um, And he was paying for his insurance company's roadside assistance program that he would have never used. It it was not going to happen. So AAA was going to come not to coverage. But he was still paying, and not a huge amount of money, but every little dollar that you're spending on all these little features add up over time. So it just didn't make sense for him to pay for it because he knew what he was going to use. He was going to use AAA. Shut it. I'm talking to Shannon, and I guess I'm asking, too, both of you guys deal with risk management. This is an issue with a lot of people. They get something started, and they just forget that they had that 10 years ago, five years ago. And so when you guys are doing your research and thinking through the process, whether it's Medicare or whether it's automobile insurance, that's a part of the process. I think Dane brought up a really good point. Risk management is all about helping people understand where should you? Where can you cut costs or cut corners, and where can you not? And so the two things that Dane just mentioned are great places that you can take on that extra risk. That's not a lot of risk to take on. Lowering liability coverages, that's a different story. And so when Dane does that analysis, I think those are ways. Let, let's let, let's find if we want to save money, we all want to save money. Let's find ways that we can do it and not elevate your risk. That's a great point, Shannon. Uh, I mean, Dane. When, well, let me ask you this: when they talk about that, and I like what Shannon just said, but if if you look at the commercials today, mm-hmm. I mean, commercial, 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 commercial. And actually, I think some of them are hilarious. But <laughs> they talk about bundling home and auto insurance for a discount. Is that really the best way to do it? And does it save money? Or should I be thinking differently about that? And depending on the carrier, it can be a huge savings. I have one of our carriers in our office. They offer a 30 to 35% discount for some people across the board. If it's bundled. If they have both policies with you, both the home and the auto. So it can be a very significant discount. Uh, but it doesn't always make sense. We, we've had other clients to where it makes sense for us to break their coverage up over a couple different carriers. And since we're independent, we're able to do that. Uh, so sometimes we'll bundle, but other times it just doesn't make sense. All right, you mentioned the word independent. Explain that to me when you say that, because I want our listening audience to know there's a difference between captive and independent. Yeah, we are independent insurance brokers, so we represent a whole bunch of different insurance companies here in Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas. So we don't necessarily work for the insurance company. We represent our clients in their best interest, and it's our job to go out there and find the best product that's available on the market for our clients at a price that makes sense. You mentioned financial planning. Did you look at everything with the umbrella of understanding the financial planning process with the when you're putting together that independent look at a person's insurance plan? Yeah. It's something that we uh, we try to do. Uh, you know, I spent five years as an advisor on our side doing financial planning for our clients, and we want to make sure that the plans that we're building for our clients on the investment side of things that are important to them and goals that they have for their families, they don't just go up in smoke because there's a, an accident that happens in their car with one of their kids or with their spouse driving, and then they, they were saving $8 a month because they didn't have the right coverage, and now retirement gets delayed 10 years. College planning's off the table. All of these things they want to do are gone because they saved $8 a month. $8 a month. So let's make sure we're kind of understanding the tips because then I want to kind of circle around and get this final thought from you. Number one, you're saying look at what you're carrying and what is it needed. It may have been needed 10 years ago, but it may not be needed. You're seeing a lot of savings just by examining that. Exactly. We want to make sure that the policies that you have are covering the things that are present in your life. Sometimes it's removing, sometimes it's adding because you're overexposed at this point, but making sure that your policy is structured for the way that your life is structured. 
That's critical. That is important from that standpoint. Let me ask this question quickly, guys. I cannot believe he just told me we have run out of time. In fact, I can't do that. I'm going to come back and do it later. There's just no way. We'll find out what it means to buy uh, the coverage. I mean, when it comes to identity theft, next program. But I appreciate you being a part of today's program. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to Talk Money at Shoemaker Financial. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on pro- on Facebook. Coming up again, we'll be talking with these guys over and over again. My guests, Shannon Dyson, Dane Williams, if you want to talk to them, give them a call at 757-5757. I appreciate you being with us today. Thank you so much for being a part. Like us on Facebook. We always want to tell you that. Again, we'll have these guys back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Back.